Today is December 8th, 2023. Welcome to Read Through the New Testament. Um, I'm alone, guys. Um, nobody else with me. We're going to do this solo, and I, I know that we can do this. We're going to read today the first half of Mark chapter 13, and then we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3. Now here in uh, Mark chapter 13, we're going to see Jesus um, speaking his Olivet Discourse, that is on the Mount of Olives. He's going to respond to the disciples asking him questions about um, when when things will be in the future. And he's going to respond with some signs of what's going to take place in the end times. So here we go. Mark chapter 13, 1 through 23. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and John, James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures until the end will be saved." Just some terrible things talking about taking place there, and it gets even worse. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. In other words, right? read Daniel and understand what he's talking about. The abomination of desolation is mentioned four times in Daniel. You can read about it there. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, nor take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days." And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on your guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. So I'm just telling you what's taking place um, towards the end. Now it's difficult to know when exactly this is going to be. Um, yet we just trust the Lord that uh, he'll carry us through. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, Paul's talking about the difficulties of the ministry 
uh, that he had, and particularly the difficulties that he had uh, with those in Corinth. Um, this is one of my favorite passages when we come to chapter 3. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And there you just see the the pain and anguish that Paul is having in his struggles for the ministry. Now, if anyone has caused pain... He has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you to know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what have I forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him to every everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death and the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And they're just speaking about when the gospel comes, some people love it and it's a fragrance of life to life and some people hate it. It's a fragrance of death to death. Verse chapter three, my favorite chapter. And in the end, I'll I'll bring out some things with 2 Corinthians 3, why I like it so much. Here we are, 2 Corinthians 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. There he's answering the question, Back in chapter 2, in verse 16, who's sufficient for all these things? And he says, well, we are not because we're sufficient in ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Verse 6, it's from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, that is the Mosaic Covenant, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was brought being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. In other words, right here, here it is, where he's talking about Moses when 
when he received the tablets which were written on stone and there was so much glory that his face shone and the Israelites covered his face. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 34. He said this, that the ministry of death, if that brought such glory like that, how much more the ministry of righteousness as the ministry of Jesus will come in glory as well. And verse 10, indeed, in this case, what once had glory, that's the old covenant, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that has surpassed it. That is, the glory of Christ in the New Testament is so glorious that it makes the Old Testament, and particularly the Ten Commandments, like fade to oblivion to have no glory at all. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Right? The Old Covenant was brought to an end. Um, the Ten Commandments, right? those we apply for sure, but many things of the Old Commandment, the Old Covenant, are brought to an end. Um, but with Christ, it will never come to an end. Believe in him and trust for eternity. Uh, such is our hope and what he says in verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Well, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, because it just puts in perspective the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and the New Covenant has so much more glory than the Old, uh, which is passing away, but the New Covenant will never pass away. Have a good day. We will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.